Welcome to the Fully Restored Podcast. Christians often struggle to talk about areas of deep hurt like trauma or abuse, shame or betrayal. These are deep soul wounds. Friend, Christ came to not only heal us from our sin, but from our soul wounds as well. My name is Kristen Klaus and I'm a licensed professional counselor and author. And my guest and I are here to walk with you on your healing journey. We see you and hear you. Friend, if you hang with me, apply these truths to your life, you will be on your own path to a fully restored story. Grab your coffee, tea, or favorite drink, and let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Kristen Klaus, and you're listening to the Fully Restored Podcast. Today, I am joined by my guest, Kelly Stigliano, who has a powerful story to share with us today. Friends, we often feel stuck and hopeless in our life circumstances. And if that's you, I know today's episode is going to encourage you and give you hope once again. Your story may not be the same as hers, but there are life lessons and tools that Kelly has from going through what she went through. And she's gonna share that with us today. And those tools are for yourself and your loved ones who are struggling on how to move forward in their lives. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm excited. Oh, I'm so blessed to have you here. Just one fun fact about you. You travel back and forth to England. I am so jealous. Tell us about that. Well, my granddaughter and her family, which are our only two grandchildren at this point, two granddaughters, live in Hertfordshire. England. So I get to travel there once or twice a year, and then they come here once a year. It's so beautiful there. Oh, I want to go there so bad. One day I will go there. So what a a fun way to spend vacations and holidays as well, right? Thanksgiving, you'll be there? Yes. Thanksgiving is our daughter's favorite holiday. So we try to get there every year about this time. Oh, Uh, Well, have a blessed and wonderful time and praying God's protection over you guys that no COVID, no virus, no nothing. And it's just a blessed time for you. Thank you. Yeah. So Kelly, tell us a little bit about yourself, the work you do and your family. Sure. Well, I'm a transplanted northerner living in the South. I I grew up in Northeastern Ohio and I now live in Northern Florida. I'm happily married to my second husband, my Boaz. Jerry. (laughs) We are a reconstituted family with five adult children between the two of us. We have a couple of children-in-law and the two granddaughters that I told you about in England, and we're having a new granddaughter in February, not just in America, but in Florida. We're so excited. Oh, yay. I know. And on November 23rd, Jerry and I will celebrate our 35th wedding anniversary. So I'm excited about that. Well, I'm an author and a speaker. I like to share the lessons that God teaches me. in in hopes that others don't make the same mistakes that I have made. Um, I realize that being transparent is the only way my audience will see that I'm the real deal and they aren't alone in their blunders. My prayer is that by hearing my stories, they can find peace and a healthy future that's found in Jesus Christ. Oh, that's wonderful. I love your heart so much because it is us being transparent that does bring healing to other people and they feel like, oh, I'm not alone because we're being transparent and honest about what we're really have experienced in our life or what we're feeling. And so I appreciate that. So Kelly, could you take us back and briefly share your story with us? Sure. 
when I was a little girl, I was very interested in witchcraft and the supernatural and occultic toys. And there were different sorts of little occultic toys on the market in those days. My parents thought they were harmless. And I requested and received every one. And through the toys, I welcomed rebellion into my heart. And you know, the Bible says in 1 Samuel that rebellion is as witchcraft. So it stands to reason that by the time I was 13, having played with these toys, that I was very interested in witchcraft. I made all the wrong choices. I hated my parents. I was smoking and drinking and doing drugs and having sex. And sometimes I was pretty suicidal. When I was in high school, my friend's older brother was coming home from the Navy, and I had heard about him for years, and then I was finally going to get to meet him, and he was handsome and sweet-talking, and we pretty quickly became a couple, and he was also interested in the supernatural, which sort of just fed my rebellion. Well, the summer after high school graduation, I became a pregnant teenage bride, and two weeks after our, our wedding, I said something to him that upset him. And he slapped me. And, and I thought about what I'd said. I knew I had a smart mouth. And I thought, well, I probably deserve to be slapped. And surely it would never happen again. And well, of course, I was wrong. I lived on eggshells, never knowing what would set him off. Slapping and choking and sometimes kicking and always screaming became a normal part of my abnormal life. 16 months after our daughter was born, I had our son. So there I was with two babies right away. We moved to Arizona. And of course, the abuse continued. One time while living in Phoenix, I took my two babies and fled to a shelter for battered women. Well, he got a message to me saying that he had changed and brought us home. Of course, he didn't change. He never gave me money for food, and I was always so hungry, and I got so skinny. I was below 100 pounds, and my hair was falling out, and I truly believed that my life was in danger in several ways. Well, one evening after a particularly violent night, the next day, the babies and I escaped back to Ohio. In Ohio, I was getting my life together, and then one day he just showed up on my doorstep. He said he had changed again, and I believed him again and took him back again. I wanted so badly to believe he had changed. I wanted so badly to have that happily ever after that every little girl dreams of. Of course, he didn't really change. And one night after a fight that actually involved our children, I made a decision. I had stayed with him up until that point because I thought to myself, well, he's the father of my babies, and for them, I need to stay with him. But after that terrible fight, I knew that for the children, we had to get out of there. Well, I left him and he moved back to Phoenix. Having him 2,000 miles away made me feel a little bit safer. And the marriage did eventually end, leaving scars on all of us. And that was about the lowest point in what I call my marriage of disparage. Wow. How many years were you guys married? Legally, about five years on and off, because I did leave him a few times, but I always went back. And so this was maybe a six, seven year relationship that you were involved in? Well, right. Because I started seeing him when I was about 17. Yeah. So yeah, probably about six or seven. Yeah. And your story is so familiar that we want to trust somebody when they say, I've changed. And we go back thinking, okay, they've changed. And like you said, you wanted to keep your family together for your kids. But then it came to the point where you recognized, right, that your kids were in danger and not just you in danger. Right. Yeah. So you shared your story with us of being in that abusive relationship. Can you tell us about your fully restored story about your journey of healing? 
Ah, that's the good part. Yeah. Walking from the darkness into the light is the exciting part, right? Yeah. Well, I was a single mom and it was really hard. I wasn't very good single mom. I worked two jobs and rarely saw my kids. And, and when I did see them, I just spent a lot of money out on them out of my own guilt, you know? I was tired, so their discipline was inconsistent, and my patience was short, and my house was a disaster area, and I, and I didn't exercise, which just made me more tired. I hadn't learned any money management skills, because when I was married, I had nothing. So I went from having nothing to having credit cards with my name on them, which I quickly maxed out, because I bought myself a whole new wardrobe, and I bought everything I thought my kids needed, and I ended up declaring bankruptcy. I had terrible decision-making skills. I often put my job or men before my kids. So I was financially and morally bankrupt. I did not talk to my children. I screamed at them. I was a bad mom. I was an angry mom. So for two more years as a single mother, I made more bad decisions and put myself in unsafe circumstances, messy places that could have caused me great bodily harm. My life was getting more and more dangerous, and then God stepped in to save me from my self-destructive behavior. I partied one night after my second job, and the next morning at home, oh my goodness, the next night at home, I was so sick. And by then, that following morning after that night, I couldn't even stand up straight. So I screamed the kids into the car and took them to the babysitter's house. I drove myself to the emergency room where they did an emergency appendectomy, but you know, that turned out to be a real gift in my life because I went from working two jobs to missing five weeks of work because of it. And for the first two weeks, I just laid on the couch and I watched my children play. And I very clearly heard the voice of God say, now observe, appreciate the gifts I have given you. And I cried. I was so regretful for not having spent more time with them. I was so regretful for screaming and cussing at them. And during those weeks, God built and strengthened my relationship with my little preschoolers. Well, when I was well enough to drive, I went back to a nightclub in Cleveland where I entered yet another contest to try to earn more quick money. But when I was there, I met a man who was a fence-walking Christian, meaning that he walked the fence between serving God and really not serving God. We started talking, and I found out that his sister was my next-door neighbor, that was not just odd, that was God, because I lived 32 miles out in the country in a little mobile home park, and his sister was in the trailer right beside me. So this young man and I started going out, and he introduced me to his whole family, and I came face to face with true Christian love. I couldn't figure it out. Here was their son, 26 years old, never been married, dating this very promiscuous 23-year-old divorcee who dressed very provocatively and had two naughty children, but they just loved us anyway. They didn't judge me or my lax parenting skills. They didn't judge my bratty little kids. They just loved us. Well, he started taking me to a big church in Cleveland, and my neighbors, his sister and brother-in-law, started taking my children to a little church out in the country. His mom and his sisters took me to a woman's retreat in Columbus, Ohio. But when I was there, I watched those other women very carefully. They weren't at all like me. They didn't seem to have the bitterness that I felt. There was really something special about them, and I, and I wanted to be like them. So I left one of the sessions during the day, and I went up into my hotel room at the Hyatt Regency Hotel in downtown Columbus, Ohio, and I knelt down on the bathroom floor all by myself, very quietly, and I asked God to take control of my life because my life was so very out of control. I asked him to forgive me for all the bad choices I'd made throughout my life. And I had learned about Jesus as a child in Sunday school, but now I met him personally as a broke and broken single mother of two rambunctious preschoolers. And the days that followed were days of growth. 
as I accepted his forgiveness, I learned to read the Bible and, and, and learned how he wanted me to live my life. I learned how to forgive others. And just as importantly, I learned how to forgive myself. I also learned that forgiving someone does not mean they have to be part of your life. God taught me to be an attentive and loving mother to my kids. I began to show them respect, you know, and, and say please and thank you and be patient with them. I learned to be kind in my words and actions. And through God's sweet guidance, I enrolled my daughter in a Christian school kindergarten. And that's where I met her single principal, Mr. Stigliano. We had our first date in November and we were married the following November. And life hasn't always been easy, but it's always been sweet because I knew God was there with me, with us. I love this story that you shared of how God came in and found you when you were the brokenest. Like you were in the most despair, your life was in shambles. And often we kind of glass over that and don't recognize in our own lives, those moments where God is there, that somebody comes into our life to help us and is an answered prayer that we may not even have prayed. Maybe somebody else has prayed for us. And how this man that you met wasn't who became your husband, but he was somebody in his family were, who were used to bring that change in your life. And just, I'm thinking about the listeners who, you know, when, when we're in pain, one of the symptoms of depression is irritability and angry outburst. And I'm also thinking about how you were in such a controlled situation in this relationship in your first marriage that, of course, you didn't have good boundaries and had unhealthy choices and didn't know how to manage your finances or anything because life had always been controlled for you. But here, God lovingly comes in, even, you know, your life is in shambles financially, you're, you have this medical issue, and, and then you're going back out, still trying to figure out how to provide and get quick money for your family, but doing it unhealthy ways. And then God, you know, this person you meet and how I love that you, you said that you became a tentative mother and you became patient and kind with your children and how I probably, I would imagine that's a counselor in me that there was some depression because of the situation you were in, PTSD, because of the abuse you went through, and not knowing how to cope, not knowing what to do. And so there's that irritability. But then the love of God came in. And that love just became that balm of Gilead upon your wounds, that salve upon your wounds. And I just keep seeing this image of like this love just kept getting poured on you, on the salve, on the wounds that you had. And that over time, those wounds began to heal and that love began to pour out of you as you began to um, experience true love. Amen. And what a powerful story of redemption, of God's redemption for us, for you. I just, I, I love your story. I don't love what you went through, but I love your story of redemption, of how God goes out and finds, he leaves the 99 and goes and finds that one. And that's what he did for you. So thank you for that. Oh, my goodness. I just want to tear up right now just thinking about what you have been through and just the love of God of how he loves us so much. And if you're struggling right now, listener, and you're thinking, yeah, but you don't understand my circumstances, God loves you. He loves each of us with an everlasting love. And that love is here to heal us and to restore us. So I just want to encourage you with that. So Kelly, 
How prevalent is domestic violence in America? Uh, well, it's it's now termed intimate partner violence. I guess that's the phrase, IPV. And, and the statistics show that every 10 seconds, six people in the United States become victims of rape, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner. And according to the National Domestic Violence Hotline statistics, on average, 24 people per minute are victims. That's more than 12 million women and men over the course of a year. And generally, women... 18 to 34 are generally experienced the highest rates of IPV. And that doesn't mean senior citizens aren't victims as well, though. But those statistics say that nearly half of all women and men in the U.S. have experienced psychological aggression by an intimate partner in their lifetime, nearly half. That is unbelievable to think that 24 people in a minute, 12 million a year. And so in that, the intimate partner violence that includes emotional and mental and um, verbal abuse. Is that what is included in that? Or is that all physical? Yeah, well, it said rape, physical violence, and stalking, which oh. I guess there's probably a lot of layers of emotional abuse yeah. within stalking in itself. Yeah, that's new to me. So I'm writing down <laughs> this stuff that you're saying. So are the victims always women then? You said no, right? They're, they're half of, was it half of the 12 million are men? Um, yes, it's yes, yes, nearly half of all of all of the men and women, it just says, but, but no, we, I know we think of domestic violence, we don't often think of men, do we? Sometimes the very thought of it makes us laugh, but it really is no laughing matter. Little boys are taught that they can't hit girls. And hopefully that sticks with them into, into adulthood. But what about when women do abuse men? My former mother-in-law used to beat her husband's chest and scream in his face and throw things at him. You know, just last year, I was at Walmart and there was a senior gentleman panicked because he'd lost his wife's shopping list and he was genuinely worried. He kept saying, oh, she's going to beat my, well, we'll just say, but, but the Walmart employees and I searched the floors up and down the aisles and he was panicked. He kept repeating the same thing over and over again. And while I'd like to think he was just being melodramatic, he seemed genuine. And, and thankfully, we found the list and he continued his shopping mission. But that whole experience made the whole woman beating on man issue very real to me. It isn't a laughing matter. He was really scared. That was panic. It was panic you you were noticing from him, right? Yes, he was definitely panicked. But, you know, those same statistics say that one in seven men aged 18 and older in the United States have been the victim of severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. So no, it's not just women. And also domestic violence isn't just a heterosexual thing. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Statistics, the numbers are even higher within the gay community. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. So how can we tell if it's happening to someone we know? <laughs> That's kind of tricky because your friend or family member may not tell you she's in trouble. I didn't tell anybody. I mean, it's embarrassing, you know, and, but she may even deny abuse if you directly ask her. But in my opinion, brainwashing goes hand in hand with domestic abuse. It's now called intimate terrorism. And, and the psychology dictionary defines brainwashing as that which manipulates and modifies a person's emotions attitudes, and beliefs. You remember that old movie called Gaslight, the psychological thriller, right? Well, just, just a real quick recap. It's about a woman whose husband slowly manipulates her into believing that she's going insane. He isolates her from the outside world, implying that he's doing so for her own good. And he's also jealous and accusatory whenever others express an interest in her. So because of the movie, the psychological term 
gaslighting is used to describe the form of psychological abuse where the victim is gradually manipulated into doubting his or her own sanity. So how can you tell? You can't always tell. I think we need to ask God for discernment, keep our eyes open for subtle signs, and listen between the lines during conversation. You bring up a good point that because as a counselor, the clients that I have seen that have been in abusive relationships, one of the most common things that I see is they doubt their judgment. They doubt their ability to make a decision, and they always defer to somebody else because of the, as you put, the intimate terrorism um, because of that brainwashing that they doubt themselves, their decisions, and because of how they're belittled and what is spoken to them. So that's a sign right there. That's not the only sign, but that is a sign. And that's something that I work with individuals on is being able to trust their own decisions because they don't trust themselves based on what's happened to them. Right. I bet you do see that in, in probably all of them. Yeah. So why do women stay with their abusers? Well, I think we've all heard or known someone, heard about or known someone who wouldn't leave her abuser. And you may wonder why she stays. You may think she's stupid or lazy, but please hear me. It's not as easy to leave as you might think. That's right. So I wrote a book, a memoir, and since it has been published, I've heard from people literally across the globe, women share their horror stories of past and present traumas, and it's heartbreaking. But I've also had a couple women say to me, well, that would never happen to me. I am way too strong for that. I would never put up with that nonsense. But again, please hear me on this. You can be hit in the head and belittled for only so long before you believe the lies. Yeah. You believe you have no worth and you can do nothing by yourself. And if you even try, you or your family will die. That's the success of brainwashing. It gives the brainwasher control over his victim. So what should someone in an at-risk relationship do? Well, if someone you know is dating someone unpredictable and explosive, it's never too late to leave. If she needs help to break the relationship off, she should secure that first. She should bring a respected authority figure to accompany her while she officially breaks up with her partner. But if she's married, she should seek help. She should call someone, make a plan, have a trusted lady friend ready to accept her and her children at a moment's notice. Maybe she could keep pajamas and toothbrushes at her house. And your listeners might think, well, could I be that safe place for her? There is much to consider, but you don't have to kill your abuser to be free. The way you retaliate is to leave. And there is help available. The National Domestic Violence Hotline website is thehotline.org. That's easy to remember, thehotline.org. But if you're at a computer that is also used by your abuser, then you should call their phone number. And it's 1-800-799-SAFE. 799-SAFE. I am writing those down right now. 1-800-799-SAFE. That statement you just said is so powerful. The way you retaliate is to leave. So you did mention for some women, you know, if you have a lady friend or somebody that you know that you can go and stay with. But for those that don't, because part of that abusive relationship is isolation from friends and support and family members. So if you feel like you don't have anyone to turn to, then what is your recommendation? Well, I think if you can get to a phone, you need to call someone. You can call your pastor's wife or the Salvation Army or your local women's shelter, and someone will help you. That's what they're there for. 
Okay. And a lot of communities now have, I'm just thinking in Washington State, where I used to live, I'm new to Kentucky, every county had these nonprofit groups that were specifically to help individuals get out of abusive relationships. You know, Human Response Network was one of them. They just recently changed their name and it was funded by the state and the federal government to help women and men get out of violent relationships. So I would encourage you make those phone calls, like Kelly just said, to Salvation Army, the women's shelter, and they are going to know hey, there's this group here or, you know, here, come to us because there are shelters for women that are not made public, right? Where those locations are. They're just for the women that are getting out of domestic violence relationships. So with your life experience and where God has brought you today, what are two or three things that you can briefly share with our listeners as they begin their journey of healing? Oh, I think most importantly, that no one is out of God's reach. He can hear and see people that we cannot. And that's what can bring us peace because nothing happens without his knowledge. I used to say, I like to say, he saved me from many things and stayed with me through everything. Oh, yes, that is good. He did. He's so wonderful. And also, secondly, is we are called to pray for those in messy dangerous places because we are indeed our sister's keepers. And you know, it's a privilege to come to God on someone's behalf. Bringing someone to him in prayer is a great act of love. It's the very most and the very least we can do. Third, no matter where you are, God is there with you. He can give you strength to get you to safety. Again, he may not save you from everything, but he is there with you through everything and can bring you safe. Just draw closer to him and touch the hem of his garment because that's where you find strength. And really, as we are touching that hem of the garment of Jesus and reaching out to him, I really believe that he's going to give us wisdom on contact this person, call this person and help us deal with the shame and the things that are inside of us that stop us from asking for help and heal our our mind and our thought process that tells us that we're to blame for what happened to us. Because I really believe that many individuals struggle with that and believe that it's their fault. They shouldn't have done this. They shouldn't have done that because they're being continually told, if you didn't do this, I wouldn't be angry. It's your fault. And the truth is, it is not your fault that somebody else is angry. Did whatever that you did, but they have a decision to make whether they have control over their emotions, not you. We can't control other people's emotions. We can control ours and how we react and respond. I'm very appreciative of these three things that you have said here and talking about, again, the way you retaliate is to leave and reaching out and pressing into God and finding, you know, if you can go to a church, if you're not allowed to go to a church right now, some churches are doing online services, but you can contact. We have so many ways to contact people now that we didn't have before. But most importantly, if you don't have somebody feel that you can reach out to, then call. It was 1-800-799-SAFE. Yes. Okay. 800-799-SAFE, or it's called thehotline.org. If you're using a computer that your abuser is not using, then you can do thehotline.org. That's the National Domestic Violence Hotline. If your computer is also used by your abuser, that's sort of an unsafe thing to do. So yes, 1-800-799-SAFE. Okay. Thank you for those resources, because those two resources 
it doesn't matter what state you live in, right? Those are national lines for them to reach out to, right? Yes. So how can people connect with you online? Oh, well, if people visit my website, kellystigliano.com, they will see my social media author links and they can connect with me through any of those author links. I'd, I'd love to hear from them. Well, wonderful. So in the last few seconds that we have here, Kelly, could you pray for those listeners that either they are in an unsafe relationship or a loved one or family member is? Could you pray for them? Yes, I'd love to. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you are everywhere. Thank you that you see us and love us and nothing escapes you, Lord, you know. And I pray, Lord God, that those who are in danger would get help, Lord, that you'd protect them and that they would get help. Give them the courage to reach out because it is a very scary thing. I pray that you would give them supernatural courage. And if people have a loved one who is in danger, Lord, let them be patient and not judgmental, Lord God. Let them know that they are there for their loved one and that they will support her or him um, whenever they're ready to reach out and help them, Lord God, to never stop praying for their loved ones, Lord. And we thank you that we can come to you all the time, anytime. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Kelly, for joining us today. Our show notes and all the links shared with us today can be found at my website, podcast.fullyrestored.love. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all of our shows. We would appreciate it if you would leave a review and a rating as well on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And be sure to share our podcast with your friends, especially this one about domestic violence or as we were told IPV, intimate partner violence. I would like to stay connected with all of you. So be sure to find me on Instagram at author Kristen Klaus or on my Facebook page, the same author Kristen Klaus. I pray this episode of the Fully Restored podcast spoke life to you today. If you have a friend or loved one caught in domestic violence or abusive relationships, may I encourage you to share this episode with them and be patient and loving and supportive to them, just like Kelly prayed as they are walking through that and pray for them that they do have the courage and the boldness to step out of that relationship. And remember friends, nothing or no one is beyond restoration with our Jesus.